Well, good morning and welcome once again to Milton Bible Church Online. We're so glad that you are here. No matter where you're viewing from, whether it's in Milton, some other part of Canada, or like a number of people who've joined us from across the nations, we want to welcome you and just say we're glad you're here to spend this time with us. We've started a sermon series in the book of Revelation last, last week, and we are going to continue that today in Revelation chapter 2. So let's get right into it. Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 contain seven letters to seven churches. And this morning we are going to look at the very first letter to the first church, the church of Ephesus. And this is what it says in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. It says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patience, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray together. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. We thank you for this book of Revelation. We thank you for the vision that you gave to the Apostle John, and we pray as we get into this word that you would make things clear to us, clear to us the things that you want to say to us. And may Lord, may the Lord Jesus Christ be the center of our hearts, the center of our lives, the center of everything. May all that's said and done be for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you a question as we begin, because I've called this series Sliders, Sliders, and it's about seven churches, really, that have slidden or drifted or shifted away from the original position that they enjoyed, and it's only taken about 40 years, for instance, for this church in Ephesus that the Apostle Paul planted. You can read about that in Acts chapter 18 and 19. But, uh, but, but really, uh, this is really um, a topic that's very, very important. So let me ask you something. How many of you know what it's like to drift away from something that is very important to you? You've drifted away from it. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something you used to enjoy. Maybe it's something or someone that you were once committed to, but slowly and surely uh, you kind of drifted apart or drifted away or drifted you know, from not doing what you once loved to do. So let me give you an example. 
Let me give you an example. Diet and exercise. Uh, there is a thing called COVID-19, which is likened unto freshman 15, where freshmen go to college for the first year. They get on the meal plan, full of starchy food at the university or college. They eat like crazy, and they gain 15 pounds in their first semester. It's called the freshman 15. So how many of us have gained weight during this COVID-19 lockdown? Not that we were trying to. Some of us put our hands up. Yes, indeed. Some of us have gained weight during the COVID-19 lockdown. They're calling it the COVID-19. Thankfully, it's not that much, but it's not that far off either. Um, But here's the deal. Some have lost weight. Some have gained weight. But uh, probably few of us haven't changed uh, a little bit. But how many of us actually woke up one day and said, today, I am going to be overweight, unhealthy, and uh, I, I am going to be out of shape. Probably not too many of us got up one day and said, you know, I'm going to be out of shape, overweight, and unhealthy. What happened was slowly we shifted, slowly we drifted, slowly we slid. Maybe we got a snack on TV night, and maybe we shouldn't have. Maybe we ordered takeout food that maybe wasn't as healthy as it could have been, but it certainly was pleasing to the uh, emotional content of our lives. Slowly but surely, we crept, bad habits crept in. Maybe we stopped exercising because we couldn't go to the gym anymore. And before you know it, we were not the people we once were. Maybe we were a little more than what we once were. Well, in our spiritual lives, none of us ever say, today is the day I'm going to stop loving Jesus and I'm going to stop loving the things of God. Probably very few of us woke up one day and made that statement. But maybe slowly and surely we have shifted or we have drifted or we have slid so that, you know, maybe we miss praying and maybe we set our Bible down and didn't pick it up again. And maybe because of this COVID-19, we said, ah, let's not watch that thing on Sunday. You know, maybe let's do something else. Or maybe, uh, you know, we, we stopped serving, we stopped giving. And slowly but surely, our passion for God and the things of God slowly slid away. And that is really how things happen. But the good news is that we have a God of restoration. We have a God that loves repentance, grace, and mercy. We have a God who loves to welcome prodigals back to the table back to the place where we can eat shawarma and we can enjoy the things that God has for each one of us you know, in, his, in the house of the Lord. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Today, our series, as I said before, is called Sliders. It's about, it's, it's about seven, our series is about seven churches that had seven letters written, one to each church. They're located in Asia Minor, which is now uh, present-day Turkey. And really, there are seven churches that are kind of spaced out all around the edges of Asia Minor. And they're all placed in prominent positions along what would be called the Old Roman Postal Route. So these were churches that were affluent. 
They were influential. They were important places. They were places that were well-known and places that were rich and along trade routes and really held a prominent place. Not so different than Milton, which is growing and thriving and expanding and doing incredibly well, and it's well-known especially uh, the beginning of traffic jams in the GTA. Well, seven churches, seven churches that seven letters are written to. And these seven churches we looked at last week, the number seven represents completeness, fullness, or perfection. And what uh, we have is we have a picture of the worldwide church. And the truth is that the church is prone to wander. And as I said before, this is only about 40 years since Ephesus, the church in Ephesus has been planted. And yet it has begun to slide and it needs correction. Well, last week we looked at a vision of Jesus. We're going to look at that in just a moment again. But it's a vision of Jesus And what we see is not the babe in a manger, it's not the suffering servant. What we see in the book of Revelation is this warrior king who is glorious and he is magnificent. He has strength and he has power and he is the king over heaven and earth. It's apocalyptic literature, it's symbolic, it's figurative, and it's also to be taken literal at different points of time. It's not to be spiritualized or allegorized or done you know, strange things with. But the key to understanding the book of Revelation is to let scripture interpret scripture. There are 400 verses in the book of Revelation and in that 400 verses, there are almost 500 allusions to the Old Testament. So what we have here, when John writes this, he is an Old Testament scholar. He understands that when he writes and he quotes Isaiah, he quotes Jeremiah, he quotes Daniel, he quotes Ezekiel, he is standing among the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, and he knows the word of God. Old Testament, New Testament, inside out. He's a man of the word, and we love that. Both Testaments are the key. I want to give you just a a quick outline. Each letter contains seven elements. Jesus commands John to write a letter to a specific church. That's the first thing that happens in each one of these churches, each one of these letters. The second is a description of Jesus that is grounded in the Old Testament. The third is a commendation for what each church has done well. The fourth thing that's mentioned in each letter is a warning or an accusation letting them know what they have done wrong. And then fifthly, there's a call to repentance because of his great mercy and his grace. God loves it when his people are called back into relationship with him. Fifthly, there's an encouragement to every church to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And there's no way that we can possibly get back on track in our own lives and as a church unless we heed the voice, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, number seven, there's a promise to those who conquer in his name, to those who persevere until the end. And those are the seven elements of every single one of the seven letters. The big idea in this letter to the church of Ephesus is this, return to your first love. Return to your first love. You see, Ephesus was doing a lot of good things. They were doing a lot of good things. 
Their actions were good, but their affections were bad. God is not after our hands only, but he's also after our heart. Serving out of duty, which some of us have done, serving out of pressure, serving out of guilt. Some serve in order to collect a paycheck. We can be doing good things, but not with the best heart. And what God is calling the church in Ephesus to, to, to he's calling them back to a love relationship with him. A love relationship that is intimate and particular, and it's both individual and corporate. That they love him as a church. They love to be together as God's people. And they love uh, just to be in love with Jesus. So, let's get right into it. Verse 1. Let's begin there. Verse 1 says this. To the church of the angel in Ephesus, write these words. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So the first thing we see is Jesus in the midst of the church. He is walking among them, and he's holding in his right hand seven stars while he walks among the seven lampstands. We know from, from looking at verse 20 that those stars are angels, they are part of the supernatural angelic host. And what that represents is the Lord, the King, the glorious warrior who stands amongst the churches is the Lord of the heavenly realm, the Lord of the heavenly hosts. And he walks among the seven golden lampstands. And again, verse 20 tells us that the golden lampstands represent the seven churches, the seven literal churches. So what do we have? We have Jesus, the warrior king, the glorious and almighty one who stands in the midst of, of the churches uh, that he rules and reigns over. So what do we have? We have a picture of the one who rules over heaven, who rules over earth, who rules over the angelic supernatural realm, and he rules over the earthly uh, church that has given its heart to him. The rule and reign of, of Jesus Christ over everything, heaven and earth, that is the one who writes this letter. That is the description that John is given. Now, you have to understand where this is being written to. It's being written to a church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus, or the city of Ephesus, uh, is the home of one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the Temple of Diana, the Temple of Artemis. It's also known for Caesar worship, but the Temple of Diana was incredibly spectacular. It was 100,000 square feet. It had 127 pillars that went ridiculously high. 36 of those pillars were made of pure marble. 36 of those pillars were wrapped in gold. And, and in that uh, temple, uh, there was so much happening. Part of the practice of temple worship in the temple of Diana was temple prostitution where the sexual act was a part of of the worship experience and uh, and that is the town that is uh, being this letter is being written to where the church is so imagine being in a church with that kind of competition 
you, someone comes up to you and says, oh, where do you worship? Well, I worship at, you know, Ephesus Christian Fellowship. Oh, is it kind of like the Temple of Diana at all? Well, actually, we're a little smaller. We're uh, not exactly 100,000 square feet with 127 pillars and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It would be daunting to be a part of that church in a city that was completely overshadowed by massive amounts of, of pagan worship. But the picture we have here is God holds the church in his hand and he is in their midst. And here's the deal. That no matter what you're going through, no matter what is happening in your life, no matter what is happening in the church, no matter the COVID-19 situation that is all around us, the Lord of glory is in the midst of his church. And he is the king. And he is magnificent. And we do not have to worry. We do not have to shake. We do not have to tremble. We do not have to do anything uh, that would, would put fear in our hearts. Because the deal is he's got it. He's got our backs. He's got our situation. And he's in the midst of it. And you can trust him. That's the description that's given to us. And then what happens is Jesus gives us basically three things that are important in this letter. It's kind of like a fireside chat that Jesus is doing with uh, his church. So the first thing that Jesus talks about is he commends the church. He commends the church. This is what it says in verses 2 and 3 and 6. It says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. And then verse 6 says, yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So what Jesus begins in this letter with, he begins by commending them for what they do well. Their acts of service and their doctrine. They, are, they love the word of God. They love the scriptures. They love the Bible and they are willing to serve and they are faithful and they are diligent and they are patient and they have endured. All of these things are true about the church in Ephesus. These were a people that said, I'm going to come and I'm going to help. And when they said it, they, they would show up. People you could count on. People who are faithful. People who are true. People who are genuine. And they loved truth. They loved God's word. They loved correct doctrine. When they came into the assembly of the saints, they would be the ones who said, give me the meat. I want the word of God. I want the meat. No fluff for me. Give me a good steak to chew on. They love the word of God. They love doctrine. And they loved to serve. And that is who they were. That is who they were. Do you know, we just have to praise God for churches who love truth. 
who love the Bible, who love the scriptures. And we need to hold them up and we need to commend them. And, uh, and they, they love the Bible and they love all the things that are taught in there. You know, I think there's basically three uh, kinds of people in the world or three orientations in our personalities. Uh, I call it a TFA. Um, but one is, T stands for thinking, F stands for feeling, and A stands for acting. And the thinking people are the people that say, you know what, I relate to God through the word, through truth, through facts, through, um, you know, through uh, mental uh, exercise, and, uh, and that's kind of who they are. They love uh, to study and to diagram and to, to really understand, you know, God through his word. And they're just deep thinkers. And we thank God for them. Then you have other people who are action-oriented. And you know what they tell me? They say, Jim, just tell me what to do. All right, just tell me what to do. I don't need all this other stuff. Just tell me what to do. Why? Because they're action-oriented people. And they want to know what to do. They want to know how to respond. Then you have the last group, and that's your feeling kind of people who come in and go, oh, you know, I love you, we love each other, we love this, we love that, and if they don't feel it, it just isn't real, and they're just really deep feelers, and, <clears throat> and, and, and they've got to feel God's presence, and they've got to feel the, the things that are happening around them, and that's just how they connect, and what we have here is we have thinking and we have acting people in this church. We have those who love the word of God and we have people who love acts of service. And what, we're, what Jesus is saying in this is, you know what, that's fabulous. But two out of three is not what we're after. We're after three. We're after three out of three. We're after love. We're after truth. And we're after the actions that accompany those things. And so Jesus looks at us with heavenly, with heavenly uh, fatherly eyes. And you know what he says to us? He says, you know what? I know you've made mistakes. I know you've blown it. I know you've dropped the ball. But you know what? There is good in you. And it's not all bad. And you are my child, and we can get beyond this, and we can correct this, and we can make this right, and we can make sure it's a three out of three. We want to hit a home run here. And so that's what's happening. Jesus is coming alongside the church that he loves, and he commends them. And most of it is great, absolutely. But he said, there's one thing you miss, and that's what he challenges them with in verses four and five. In verses four and five, this is the second thing of the three things that Jesus has for this church, and that is he challenges our priorities. In verses four and five, he says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The key statement here is the love you had at first. The love you had at first. You know what? When people fall in love, they begin to act differently. They talk differently. 
They start chattering like crazy about the person that they've fallen in love with. They can't stop talking about the person that they love. This person is like this. Oh, and you know what happened to them the other day? This happened to them. And it's just, and it's just constant when that's what happens when you first fall in love. You can't stop talking about that person. So let me ask you something. When was the last time you told someone about Jesus? When was the last time you told someone about Jesus? Maybe a friend, maybe a relative, maybe a neighbor. You see, we talk about the people that we're madly in love with. Deeds and doctrine without love, what happens is they lose their power. They lose their effectiveness. And they don't move things forward. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's called the love chapter. And the first three verses of the love chapter say this. They say, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give up all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So what the writer to the Corinthians is saying, listen, if we don't have love in what we do and what we say and how we act and the deeds that are done, listen, they, they, they just become worthless. They become powerless. They become valueless unless there is love. Unless love is a part of it. And it's a love that begins in a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus says there's three ways, three steps to come back to a love relationship with me. The three steps are remember, repent, and return. He says this, first of all, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. And the word remember is a present active indicative, which means it's a continuous action in Greek. And what it means is keep on remembering. Don't stop remembering. Remember continually um, what we had at first, those first days, you know, the first days of our love. Remember those and, and let those days spur you on. Don't forget them. You know, this week, my wife had a very, a very um, important birthday, shall we say. I won't tell you what number, but it's a very important birthday. And so for the past number of weeks, I have been uh, helping to arrange the dinner, uh, buying her presents, um, inviting certain people that she doesn't know yet are going to be there. But by the time this is shown, they will be there. Um, all these things are going on behind her back that she doesn't know so that she can have a wonderful surprise and have a really big birthday in a time when she can't have a lot of people there. And so, as I've been going through this for the past number of weeks, I've been doing shopping, I've been doing phoning, I've been doing bookings, I've been doing this, I've been doing that. And uh, over the past several weeks, I just 
because of what I've been doing, I just think been thinking about her a lot. And I've been thinking about these past 36 years of marriage, uh, that our 36 anniversaries on the 30th. And I just been thinking what an absolutely amazing and wonderful woman she is and how blessed I am to be married to her and how kind she is and thoughtful she is and how careful she is with her words and how she loves her children and loves her family. And, you know, I walked into the church the other day and there she is at her desk in the lobby out front and the tears are just streaming down her face as she's talking to somebody from the church and they're telling her about their situation and she's just weeping with them. And that's just who she is. She just loves everybody. And as I think about and I remember You know, all the birthdays she's had and experiences we've had and anniversaries we've had and trips we've had and things we've done and the highs and lows we've had in life. You know, I just can't help but fall in love with her more and get more and more excited about this birthday. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, remember. Think about it. Remember these things. Remember the things that you had at first. Remember the place from which you've fallen. Just remember and remember and just let's fall in love more. Let's fall in love again. Let's fall in love like we were before. The first step is remember. The second step is repent. Repent. Now, repent is an interesting word, the word metanoia. It's actually not present active indicative, which means you're repenting all the time. It's an aorist imperative. Um, and I'm sorry for the, all this Greeky stuff, but it's, it's in, it, an aorist imperative basically says, do it and do it now. Do it and do it now, repent. And the word repent means to turn uh, from one way and go another way, a change of mind and a change of direction. That's what the word repent means, metanoia. And it, it, it means you're going one way and it's away from God. So right now, whatever you're doing, stop doing what you're doing and go the other way. That's what repentance means. Change of mind, change of direction, do it now. Not constantly repenting, but repenting right now. And the question is this, what is it that is hindering your love for Jesus? What is it that is hindering your love for Jesus? And whatever it is, end it now. End it now. Perhaps it's an inappropriate relationship. Perhaps it's something on the screen that shouldn't be there. Perhaps it's a a passion for materialism or a certain kind of hobby or activity that takes you away from God and the things of God. Perhaps it's an addiction to work, but whatever it is that is getting in the way between your relationship with the one who loves you, end it now. That's what he's saying, repent. Remember, repent, and the last one is return. Return. And what he says is this, and do the works you did at first. Return to what you were doing. Return. 
you know, come back, what he's saying. Come back to where you once were. You know, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like, um, you know, when you leave home and you jump in the car and you go for a ride and you realize, oh man, I forgot my lunch. You know, and, but you're already to the corner and you think, oh, I'll just pick something up. And then you turn the corner and you go down the street a little farther and then you think, oh, rats, I remember, I, I forgot my wallet. And then you think, well, I'm a safe driver. The police aren't probably going to pull me over. I'll probably be okay without my wallet. I'll probably make it to work and back. And you get a little farther. Then you get to the traffic light. And you're a very forgetful person. So you say, oh, no, I forgot my phone. And you think, I can't possibly live without my phone. I can live without lunch or my wallet. But I can't live without my phone. So you turn around and you go back home. And that's what Jesus is saying when he says, return, come back home. Come back home. I want you to come back home and fall in love with me again. Remember, repent, and return home to the place that you belong. That's what he is saying. That no matter how far you are down on that road, no matter how great the distance is and the loss of love between you and the Lord Jesus Christ, turn around now and come back home. That's what God is calling the church in Ephesus to do. And that's what I think God is calling Milton Bible Church to do. That is what he's calling me to do. And I think that's what he's calling each one of us to do. To come back home. To fall in love with him afresh. To remember the things that we once did and to do them all over again. And then the conclusion of the letter is this, verse 7. He who has an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches... In other words, we don't have a hope of accomplishing this without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So the promise we have in Jesus is greater than any other thing. And the deal is this. What he's saying is this. Don't fall for fool's gold. Because all that glitters is not gold. The promise is to eat of the tree of life. The tree of life in which we will be in the presence of the living God forever. And there is no better place. There is no better place to sit at the table. There is no better place for us to enjoy the fullness of all that God has for us. And what Jesus says, come, eat a meal with me, be with me. Eat of the tree of life. We will be together forever. That is the promise for those who persevere until the end. So here's the choice. The choice is to choose eternal pleasure with Jesus or to choose eternal remorse without him. That is the choice that he is bringing to the church at Ephesus. So what will you choose? What will you choose? 
You know, I think back 36 years ago to our, our wedding, and um, that was back in a day where, yeah, we all kind of dressed kind of weird, and, you know, the best we could do was to uh, have an audio cassette of our ceremony. You know, no one recorded anything back then. We had a few pictures, we had a photographer, and, you know, that kind of thing, but, but it wasn't as high-tech as it is today. But there was one thing that we did that I think really spoke volumes to our guests and to those who gathered. On, our, on the napkins at everyone's table, um, we had a quote from the book of Joshua that said, for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. For me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And so what I would ask you to do is just is to make that covenant in your own family right now, even as you watch, in your own heart now. As for me, I will serve the Lord. As for my family, we will love God, we will worship him, we will love his word, and we will serve him together. And may the Lord bless his word as we apply it to our hearts. And may you go in the grace and the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have a great week, everybody.